The first reading is Isaiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 20, and can be found on page 683 of the Church Bibles. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know my people, and they do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burnt with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. 
plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the second reading is uh, continuing in the first chapter of Isaiah, at, uh, starting from verse 21. That's on page 684 of the Bibles. How the faithful city has become a hall, she who was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Therefore, the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel. Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counsellors as at the beginning. Afterwards, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tinder, and his work a spark, and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. Well, I'd like to add my welcome this morning. Uh, Particularly if you're new, I think I've seen some new faces here this morning, which is great. You're very welcome if you're visiting. Uh, and as you've heard, we're starting a short series this summer in the first nine chapters of Isaiah. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Andrew, I'm a member of the congregation, and I'm speaking this morning. So as we start, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. Open our hearts that we may hear what you have to say to us and put it into practice for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we live in a world where uh, our performance is judged. School reports, end-of-year tests, exams, job appraisals. We may get the verdict we expect, or we may not. 
When I was working in the civil service, uh, one year I was convinced that I was going to get the top marking. I'd earned it. I'd done everything that was asked of me. I delivered radical new regulations to the government's timetable in spite of all the political lobbying. I was confident going into my appraisal with a list of all my achievements, but I didn't get the top marking. All my expectations were devastated. And it's rather like that for the people of Judah's we see as we begin this new series. They thought one thing, but God's verdict was very different. Now the first five chapters of Isaiah, before his vision and call in chapter 6, are a general introduction with no kings or specific events mentioned. They introduce Isaiah's main themes. It's rather like TV documentaries that give you a, an action-packed taster of what's in store right at the beginning to grab your interest. Isaiah's ministry, as we see in verse 1, spanned four kings. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah. A period probably about 50 years. It covers Judah's changing fortunes from prosperity to exile. Now, God's people were already in decline. They passed the glory days of King David and King Solomon. The nation is split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. Judah had Jerusalem and the temple and saw themselves as God's faithful people because they continued with all the Old Testament sacrifices. They felt confirmed in this because they were at peace and relatively prosperous under Uzziah. And so Isaiah's message is a massive wake-up call. So looking at our passage today, and it would be good if you could have the Bibles open at page 683, and there's an outline on the back of the service sheets. It's very bleak. I don't know if you got that when we read that through. With God's criticism of Judah, 2 to 20, and Jerusalem, 21 to 31. They're in rebellion against God, and so will face God's judgment. God is speaking, and Judah needs to listen. And judgment is the main theme, but there are glimmers of hope if they respond to God. Because God will judge rebellion, but will restore those who repent. And we'll be looking at two ways to live. Rebellion or sin resulting in rejection by God. Repentance bringing restoration by God. And it's important to note in 11 to 15 how sin has corrupted the very thing they were proud of, their religion. So our first point, rebellion will be judged. That's 2 to 9. God is speaking directly, as we see in, in verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Imagine a picture. A cosmic courtroom 
God the judge giving his damning verdict. And yet even with this, you can hear the father's grief over and anguish over his rebelling children. Judah reinforces God's message in verse 4. Our sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel, they are utterly estranged. You can feel Isaiah's heartfelt yearning for God's people, his desire for them to listen and repent. We see that in 5. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint, from the sole of the foot even to the head. There is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Oh, it's a brutal picture. It's rather like a boxer being constantly pummeled or a badly injured patient walking untreated out of accident and emergency. And in seven, we see how dire their political situation is. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as they were thrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. That foreshadows their future exile. But there are glimmers of hope, as we see in verse 9, because God hasn't destroyed them completely as he did with Sodom and Gomorrah. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. However, if they think that their religion will save them, they're in for a very big shock, because... And this is the second point. Religion will be rejected. And that's 10 to 12, 20. So starting at verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. I mean, how, the, how Judah must have woken up when they were described as Sodom and Gomorrah. Those were the evil cities that God had completely destroyed. This was a message they needed to take to heart. And we see God's verdict on their religion when we look at verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls, or of lambs, or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon is Sabbath, and the calling of convocations. I, can't, I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. 
What a damning condemnation of Judah's religious practice. They were diligent in doing the right things in terms of sacrifices, festivals and prayers, but without the right heart attitude. We see that in 13. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. And I've put a quote on the, on the service sheet from Proverbs 15, which has the same theme. God is fed up with their sacrifices. He takes no delight in them because they're an abomination to him. Instead of pleasing God with their religion, they're alienating him. Furthermore, God is not hearing their prayers because of their iniquity. We see that in 15. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. And again, there's a, a couple of cross-references on the service sheet. Proverbs 1 and Micah 3. So God directly challenges their preconceptions. They thought that by being religious, they would find favour with God. But it's the reverse. God's alienated by their religion because of their iniquity. Their continued rebellion against his law. You see, they had religion, but no relationship with God. So you can see how religion in church going does not make us acceptable to God. And while this is a challenge to us who go to church, it should be good news for those who don't go to church or see themselves as religious. And if you're in that situation uh, today, we're very pleased that you're here. Uh, because we're looking at how anyone, churchgoer or not, can get right with God. So just as Judah needed to hear God's message, so we need to hear God today. We need to examine ourselves if we are to see if we're going through the motions of our Christian faith without our hearts being changed. Have we religion but no personal relationship with God? What do we pride ourselves in? What might be Grace Church's religious practices? We could be faithful at turning up every Sunday, dutifully fulfilling our rotas, making the effort to turn up early, even when we're not scheduled to do anything. We're always there at the prayer gathering and the growth groups, having studied the passage before. We read our Bibles each day and pray through the Grace Church prayer calendar. Now, please don't misunderstand me. All of these things are good and beneficial. We should be doing them, but our hearts need to be right. And our hearts will be revealed by how we treat God and how we treat others. Do we love the Lord our God with all our heart and our neighbours as ourselves? Do we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness? Do we take up our cross each day and follow Jesus? Do our lives show the fruit of the Spirit? And I know that there are people at Grace Church who show practical Christian love to those in need, both in the church and outside. Members provide meals when someone has had a new baby or is unwell. And you'll know of others who are doing similar things. And as a church, we're committed to making disciples of Jesus Christ, seeking opportunities to share our faith and to help one another grow as Christians through reading the Bible one-to-one or prayer triplets. And this won't be convenient. It's costly with our busy lives. And while I might be good, it may be good that I may study the Bible and pray each morning, it's not good if what I study doesn't change my heart and my behaviour. 
And from the recent series in 1 Corinthians, I've been challenged not to think of myself, what I'm going to get out of Grace Church, but what can I give? How can I serve? And yet when I visited my son's church last Sunday, I too easily slipped back into thinking about myself. I mean, the songs weren't familiar. Uh, I found it difficult to tune into the introductory prayers. And I realized I was thinking of me, not others. My heart hadn't been changed. God said to Judah that he wouldn't hear their prayers, even with many prayers. And we all find prayer hard. It's always a spiritual battle. And so we can be quite, we can feel quite pleased when we're able to pray, especially when we can pray regularly. But the challenge God gives to Judah and us is to get our hearts right with God first. That's confession and repentance as we were thinking about it at the beginning. If we want to be heard and have a personal relationship with God. And I find this very challenging. I know how sloppy I can be about confessing and repenting because I want to get on with my prayer list. Maintaining our relationship with God isn't easy when our lives are so busy. It's too tempting to be it's too tempting to be content with squeezing grace church activities into our busy lives and being regular with personal Bible study and prayer. But are we growing in our relationship with God? We can go through the motions of being faithful Grace Church members, but are we growing in godliness? And however, I don't want to dis- to confuse you because we mustn't think that that what we do will get us into God's good books. We all need God, churchgoer or not, to wash us completely clean, because we, as we've been thinking this morning, we all rebel against God. We see that in verse 18. God says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. None of us naturally likes to go God's way. It's only as God renews our hearts that we'll want to live for God. And so faced with the evidence, God must judge Judah, as we see in 20. If you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And it sounds all very bleak. So what hope is there? Well, there is hope if they listen and respond to God, as we see in 19. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. The question for them and for us is, will they, will we, hear the word of the Lord? Will they accept his verdict on their lives and their religion? Will we? If they don't, they're still in rebellion against God. They have a choice between two ways to live. And that's our third and final point, repentance or rebellion, 21 to 31. So whilst God must judge sin and reject empty religion, he offers hope to everyone who recognizes their true spiritual state, who hears the word of the Lord and repents. God's focus now turns to Jerusalem, we see in 21. How the faithful city has become a whore, she who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions are thieves. 
Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless and a widow's cause does not come to them. How far Jerusalem had fallen, the faithful city to a whore, righteousness to murder. God's standards and laws were not being upheld. Everyone was living for themselves, getting rich with bribes and gifts at the expense of justice and caring for the oppressed. Sounds very contemporary. And in 24, Therefore the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself and my foes. They're going to be judged. Yet even in this, God gives hope because his judgment and punishment will refine them by burning up all Jerusalem's impurities so that it will become a city of righteousness, the faithful city again, as we see in 25. I will turn my hand against you and smelt away all your, dr- your dross as with lie and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counsellors as at the beginning. Afterwards you should be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion sh- shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. See, God's call to repentance there, echoed in 16 and 17, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the women's cause. They needed to wash themselves, and to do that they had to recognize they were dirty because of their sin and needed to change by no longer uh, doing evil and learning to do good. And as Christians, we're called to do the same, with God's help, putting off our old self and putting on our new self, created like God in righteousness and holiness, as Paul says in Ephesians 4. And we've already seen in, in verse 18, God invites them to come to him in repentance. He offers to restore them and wash them completely clean. And when we repent, we're throwing ourselves on God's mercy, asking for forgiveness and cleansing and redemption. And this is only possible because of God's justice in 27. God's justice needs to be satisfied by Christ taking the the punishment of our sin. That's how we... That's how God makes us completely clean. So Judah was faced with a choice. We're faced with the same choice because there's two ways to live. Repent and be redeemed or rebel and be broken, rejected and judged. If we don't repent, we're continuing to rebel against God and we'll face his judgment directly. We'll pay the penalty for our own sin. As it says in 31, and the strong shall become tinder, and his work a spark, and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them, will be totally burnt up and destroyed. So in conclusion, this is a wake-up call for God's people. Judah needed to hear what God was saying to them, and respond and repent. The same is true for us today. We need to hear what God is saying to us and respond.
they and we have the same choice. There are two ways to live. Will we listen to God, take his word seriously, even when it hurts our pride and repent? Or will we harden our hearts and not listen to God and so rebel? The promise is that if we listen to and respond to God, he will refine and restore us. His goal is that we become more like Christ. We need to examine ourselves to make sure that our hearts are right and not deceive ourselves that we're okay because we do the right things, know our Bibles well and go to a sound church. The warning is that if we harden our hearts and continue in rebellion, he will judge and destroy us.